I want to start a, a new series this morning. Um, and uh, I think it's a broad enough series that um, we'll, uh, we could be here for a while. Anything that is going to allow us to talk about Jesus as much as possible, then I think this series could last a while. We've entitled it Walk This Way. And if you need to just take a moment and blast out, run DMCs, walk this way, uh, feel free to do that for a moment. Um, and maybe you're too, you're too uh, spiritual for that sort of thing. But I was reading, uh, you know, a cu- couple of weeks ago, we, we took a whistle stop tour, I suppose, through um, the letter of 1 John. And it was actually in reading through that letter that I was struck by this verse first in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. Um, and it just it just stuck with me. It like it it was one of those moments that um it it jumped out of the page and just gripped me and um and so as we meditated on it, reflected on this verse, uh, it sort of just fueled a bit of a conversation that we would love to keep keep going, keep going through our Sundays. So it says this is what it says, first John chapter two, verse six. Whoever claims to live in him, whoever claims to be in Jesus, must walk as Jesus did. I want to read it from another couple of versions, just to make sure we're hearing this. In the message version, it says, Anyone who claims to be intimate with God ought to live the same kind of life that Jesus lived. The Passion Translation, we can be sure that we've truly come to live in intimacy with God, not just by saying it, not just by saying I am intimate with God, but by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And so we're going to, every Sunday, we're going we're gonna to share this out, we're going to hear from um, David, Neville, Amy, others uh, on as we look at the life of Jesus, what does it mean for us to walk this way? What does it mean for us to walk as he walked? What does it mean for us to walk in his footsteps? What does it mean for us to live the same kind of life that Jesus lived? Um, Amy's already mentioned it. We've been, we've been going through First Peter on Wednesday nights together. And... Um, and I, for one at least, have found it, I found it really, really helpful. I find it incredibly challenging. And again, as I've been reflecting on, on this verse in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, I was reminded of where we, where we looked in 1 Peter a number of weeks ago. When Peter is reminding the, 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 the scattered community of, of followers, uh, that reminds them that Christ suffered for you. But Peter pushes that further. He says, Christ suffered you to leave you an, an example that you should also follow in his footsteps. And so over the next couple of weeks, as we make our way uh, towards Easter, we'll reflect on the cross and we'll acknowledge the suffering that Jesus, that Jesus endured on our behalf for us. Um, he suffered in a way that he would leave us an, an example that we would then follow in his steps. And then Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, 
Um, I'm supposed to, I'm, set, I'm setting out these few verses just as a bit of a platform, uh, a bit of a foundation for our motivation behind what we're wanting to do um, over these next number of Sundays. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says, follow God's example. The, the Greek, I'll make, a, I'll make a mess of this inevitably, but the Greek for example here is mimetai. And it literally means to mimic. I sort of thought about that as a different title. I thought, walk this way or mimic our master. We went for walk this way. But, it, but this is essentially what Paul is saying. Follow God's example. Mimic him as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love as just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Walk this way. Walk in the way of love, to use Paul's words. The message version again of Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. Imitate that. Mimic that way of love. Let me read that one more time as a springboard into looking at how Jesus loved without caution in John 4. Let me read that just let me read that verse in Ephesians one more time. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. And so that's what we want to do. We want to really we want to really push into this. We want to challenge ourselves deeply over the next number of weeks as we consider what it is to walk this way, to walk in the way of love. And so the first example, the first illustration, the first story that I would love to uh, bring us to is John chapter 4. Um, I, I, I imagine famously famously known as the as this place where we find um, this incredible story of the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And so just to just to just to step back a wee bit, this Jesus said we're told by John in verse four of chapter four, Jesus had to go through Samaria. I want to point that out because we'll come back and reflect on that towards towards the end of our time together here. Jesus had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. And um, we're told how the Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Can you help me? Will you give me a drink? I, I, am, I have been continually struck by that verse in particular over the last number of weeks. It's almost like Jesus is so willing to take on a posture of vulnerability. To say, will, will you help me? Can you give me something to drink? And then they get into conversation. They get into this incredible conversation. And I'm just so struck by the way that Jesus loved. And so Samaria. Samaria was, uh, this was a place that Jewish people avoided 
They made sure they did all they could to avoid going through Samaria. There was such, there was such hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans that they would have took the long way around to avoid going through Samaria. There was such hostility that the Jews thought that they were unclean. They thought the Samaritans were unclean. And not only that they were unclean as a people, but that their land was actually unclean as well. Which, is, which actually is the very reason I think that Jesus walked that way. He was trying to break down all of these cultural religious taboos. And so that's why he had to go to, why he had to go through Samaria. I'll probably keep going there, but I will. We are going to keep coming back to that point towards the end. But I find it really sad, actually, because the, the, the Samaritans, they're actually descended from the Israelite family. They were part of the Israelite family. And when, if you go back, I'm not spend time doing that, but if you go back into your, into your Old Testament history, you'll see how the northern and the southern kingdoms divided. And so the Samaritans and the, and the Jews then found themselves on opposite sides of this divide. And there, there's so much hostility and so much theological difference. Samaritans believed that their worship was the true worship. And obviously the Jews thought the same thing. And we would see it if, you were, if you're familiar with this, these verses. You'll see that highlighted, that theological difference in the conversation that Jesus and this lady have. She says that, that um, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. Mount Gerizim is the mountain that they're on. They, the Samaritans believed that was the place of true worship. The Jews believed that it was the place. It was in Jerusalem. They divided over th these theological differences. They divided over everything. There was such an incredible hostile environment. Um, between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so again, there'll be stuff here that you'll have heard before. There'll be stuff here that will possibly, more than likely, not be new. But Jesus, there was rules about talking to women. Men only spoke to their wives in this culture. In the first century, men, the only women that men were, were, were ever spoke to were their, their wives. Um, these two groups, these two groups, as you'll have guessed, they just didn't engage with each other at all. They didn't talk to each other. And again, Jesus had to go. It's a reason why he, why he's making such a point of going through Samaria. All that they've said about these unclean people, all that's been said about this unclean land, Jesus has to go through. And as he goes through, he is breaking all sorts of cultural and religious taboos. Breaking the taboo, that, breaking the rule that men don't talk to women other than their wives. Breaking this, almost, I suppose, an unspoken rule that Jews and Samaritans did not engage, did not communicate to one another. And Jesus just kept pushing it further. He actually even used her cup. And so when he asks for a cup of water to drink, he doesn't have anything himself and he's asking her for help. And so this supposedly unclean woman from an unclean place and unclean people jesus is now not only talking to her but he's using he's using her cup and on a side note i i find myself challenged by this 
there's as we think about what it, what it looks like to engage with, with with our community there's people that we'll probably differ from vastly we'll have certain theological differences we'll have certain cultural differences we'll there'll be certain things that we don't see eye to eye on but i think what jesus the example that jesus gives here is really quite remarkable that he'll even go to the people that see things a lot differently than he does and he will still say can you help me can you give me something and so the culturally religiously the expectation was to avoid people like this but jesus actually asks for their help can you give me something and uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've just become so aware that we can get so used to these stories. We can get so, they can be they can just become so matter of fact. We can we can trace over them really quickly and think that isn't it really nice how Jesus went out of his way to to save this poor woman, and that is good. But so much more than that, There's it runs so much deeper than that. It is so much richer than that. And so as we think about the series that we're starting today and the conversations that we want to open up over the next number of weeks, if this is the way that we are to mimic, if this is the example that we are to follow, if this is the way that we are to walk, then I think we should look a wee bit closer. That we should delve in a little bit deeper. And, I, and as I reflected on this over the last couple of days, I found myself being really moved because I think this is such a tender moment. This story is a tender moment filled with compassion. It is a tender moment so full of compassion. I know I'm going off the, the, the written script here, but I just find myself imagining Jesus retelling this story to John. John had to pick, John who wrote this who wrote these words in his gospel. You had to hear it from somebody. Because it was only Jesus and the woman at the well. And, and as, I, as I thought about it, Jesus and the disciples, they were asked to stay two more days in this, uh, in this town. The people were so desperate for the, this revolutionary message and, uh, that Jesus was bringing that they wanted them to stay two other days. And so I just found myself... Um, reflecting on Jesus retelling this story to John around around the fire one evening, as everybody else was chatting and getting involved, getting caught up in all the excitement of what was going on. And imagine Jesus retelling this story, and 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 John just completely captivated by it because he he seen the one that he loved the one that he was following, laying, laying down this perfect example of tenderness and compassion. His response is so gracious. Jesus' response to this woman is so gracious. I wish we knew your name. I almost feel like making up a name for her because I find myself so reluctant to keep calling her the woman. It doesn't feel right. I almost feel like I should make up a name. But his response to her is so gracious. And I know that there will be there's certain, there's certain uh, feelings about divorce in, in our culture now. 
But back in the first century, to be divorced was it, it, it was so scandalous. To be to be divorced. The sad thing, the thing that I find incredibly sad is that it was only well, I find it incredibly sad that there would be divorce at all, but it was only men that were allowed to divorce women. Women had no say in the matter. And so if men had got to the place where they wanted to set a woman aside, they could so easily do that. If, they, if the woman was no longer meeting the needs of the husband, or if he just got bored, he was able to so easily set her aside and divorce her. And the thing that makes it even sadder was that in that culture, the blame, the blame was placed on the woman. So even though the man was the one that made the decision, he was the one that set her aside, the blame and the shame was still placed on the woman. And so this had happened to this, to this lady five times. Five times she had been set aside. Five times a man had decided that she was no longer of any use to him. And there was something in her, there was clearly something in her as there is within us all that has this thirst deep within us, longing for it to be satisfied and we look for it in all of the wrong places. And five times she thought that her need could be satisfied with another, with another husband, with another man. And again and again she faced the, the brutality of being set aside, of being rejected and then enduring the shame that came with all of that. And she faced the brunt of the scandal. She faced the brunt of the abuse. And so you imagine that the perception that, would have, that this woman would have endured after being divorced once would have been bad enough. But for it to have went through it five times, the perception would have been magnified. The, the perception of how terrible, how horrible this woman would have been would have been magnified five times divorced. What a horrible woman she must be. And not only has she been rejected by the five men that she'd given, her, given herself to, she was also rejected by the women in her community. See, because of the dangers involved in going uh, out to get water, they would have, women would have went in packs. They would have went in groups to look after, to protect one another. And she found herself with no pack. She found herself with no group on her way on her own, rejected, facing the scandal and the perception of what a terrible woman. And she found herself face to face with Jesus. And there is not a hint of condemnation that come from the lips of Jesus. And it's really important for us as we consider the challenge for us to walk this way. There is not a hint of condemnation that come from the lips of Jesus. And whenever he begins to push in, whenever he begins to acknowledge, I, I know when I see the husband that you're living with, the, the man that you're living with now is not your husband. And, and she says, she, she, she quickly changes the subject. It's almost like it's getting too personal. It's bringing up all of that hurt and she changes the subject and, and goes to the theological difference that the Samaritans and the Jews have. Sir, I see that you're a prophet, she says. Our, our ancestors have been worshipping on this mountain. And she, tries, she just tries to change the subject. Don't need to go in too deeply into this. She tries to change the subject. And what I love what Jesus does, he goes with it. 
He doesn't try to bring her back too quickly to the point of her pain. He doesn't try to bring her back too quickly to the to, to bringing up all of those feelings of shame. He goes with her. You know, she changes the subject. Jesus goes with her because he wants to reveal who he truly is. He's going to reveal himself to her. And when Jesus says, you have pitted yourself one against the other. Samaritans, you are saying it's going to be in this mountain. The, the Jews are saying it's going to be in Jerusalem. And Jesus comes and says, it's going to be neither. It's going to be, it's, it's all going to be fulfilled. It's all, all of it's going to be found in me is what Jesus uh, reveals as his ministry goes on. And the woman says, I'm like, we're waiting for the Messiah. We'll find out when the Messiah comes, I guess. And Jesus says, I am he. It's, it's, it's me. Been waiting for the Messiah. Here I am. And she leaves her water jar. She leaves her water jar and goes back to the town. And goes, comes back into this place where she's been rejected. Where she's been set aside. Where she's faced the perception of being such a horrible woman. And she comes with joy and says, come and see a man who has told me everything that I ever did. And for years she has lived with this, everyone knows what I've done. And it's left her feeling rejected and shamed. But now she has this encounter that everyone, he knows all that I've done. And it leaves her feeling with a sense of joy. Jesus knows everything she ever did. And something about that caused her to leave with joy. Everything, everyone knew who she was. And it left her feeling rejected and shamed. And in this encounter, I think there's so much that we, have, that we don't have in this story. I almost feel that there's, there's stuff that Jesus didn't even tell John. Because there's some stuff. My screen's not frozen, by the way. I am. Um, I think there was some stuff that took place between the woman and Jesus. That maybe just stayed between her and him. Because she came away knowing that he knew everything about her. He knew... He knew all that she'd done. And he was still saying, yet I love you. He was still saying there, I know everything about you. I know the pain that you have endured. I know the pain that you're feeling. And I still love you. And he's seen past your behaviours. And I want to be so much better at doing that. I want to be so much better at seeing past behaviours. Me and Joe were out in the village yesterday. And I found myself walking home just like, Jesus, I want to, I want to look at people like that. Two young girls and I want to look past their behaviour and see the see their thirst, see the symptoms of their need. Because that's what Jesus did. That's what I think it looks like to walk this way. He's seen past her behaviours and seen her thirst. She was trying to quench it in all of the wrong places. And he was able to look beyond the behaviours. And sometimes we find that really difficult to do. 
we find it really difficult to look beyond the behaviour that we see in front of us. We find it really hard, and, and if we're going to take seriously, if we're going to say that we're in him, then we want to walk as he walked. And I'm so glad it was Jesus that this woman came across. Because I, I am, I, this is where it starts, the, the rubber starts hitting the road for me. Because I think, like, what, what if this woman had a, came across me? What if she had came across a Pharisee? What if she had came across one of the religious elite? How would they have made her feel? My fear is that sometimes we could make them, make people feel God knows everything about you and He's mad. God knows all that you've all that you've done and He's pointing the accusing finger at you, pointing the finger at you and He's accusing you of your wickedness and your evil. And, there, and unfortunately, I, like, I hear it on the streets. I hear it. That is, that, is the, that is what people are hearing. I'm so glad this woman came across Jesus. See, if we, are, if we, are, if we look at the behavior, if the first place that we look is the behavior, we, we, it's inevitable. We begin to look through judgmental eyes. But if we can look at the symptom, if we, can, if we can begin to look beyond that and see the thirst, we will inevitably, I think, look with the eyes of compassion. So we're going to look at the behaviours, we will look through judgmental eyes. If we're going to look at the symptom, if we're going to look at, at, where the, at, at we're all thirsty, we're all looking to find the right place to drink from, we will look through the eyes of compassion. And this was such a missional had to, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up here. And then Amy's gonna, Amy's gonna wrap us up, close us out in prayer. But this was this was a missional had to. This was so much more than Jesus just making his way to Samaria in order to free one person. And, and it's beautiful that that happened. It's amazing the tenderness of this moment that seen this woman set free. But it was so much more than that. Because it had become acceptable. It, it had become acceptable for those that were even following Jesus. Like the disciples were, these, these men were following Jesus. But it had, become, it had become acceptable to avoid Samaria. It had become acceptable to avoid it. And to avoid Samaria was contrary to the heart and the desire of God. Because if we were to go, and I think we, we, we could find ourselves here over the next couple of weeks, the, the cross, the cross was, what Jesus accomplished in the cross was ordered to break down the walls of hostility to make two groups one. And so to avoid Samaria was contrary to the will and the heart of God. To avoid Samaria was, was, was denying all that Jesus had done on the cross. It was to fail to live up to all that he was going to, all that he was going to accomplish on the cross. This was a missional, this was such an urgent missional had to because it was no longer acceptable. Jesus had to do this. It is no longer acceptable for you to call these people unclean. It is no longer f acceptable for you to look down on this group of people. 
It's no longer acceptable for you to keep these people at a distance. It's no longer acceptable to avoid going through Samaria. And so he had to go to it. And I'm so glad he had this beautiful encounter with this woman at the well. It's filled with tenderness and filled with compassion. But it's also bigger than that. And I think that's the challenge for us today. And that's what I want to leave us with. That's the conversation that I want us to open up in our homes and in the whenever we get together um, in our one-on-one -on -one walks or whatever it is. If we're going to walk as he walked, we need to tear down the walls that he tore down. And so I suppose the question, if there's a question I want to try and leave us with, well, there's a statement. We have to go through Samaria. As was the question is, where is yours? We have to go through Samaria. Where, where is yours? And I think there is, a, there is a challenge for us to break out of our homogenous circle. The circle that is filled with people who look like us, think like us, behave like us. I know I've said that said some of this before, and I think that's why that's why the, I think the Jews, these Jewish people, the, the disciples were maybe not even aware. They just got so used to avoiding Samaria. They just got so used to being around the same type of people that looked, thought, and acted like them. And Jesus is telling now he's saying to them, and I think he would be saying to us, "You have to go through Samaria, break out." Of the circles of your the of your sameness. You need to move beyond sticking to your own. There is, there is a level of, like, real discomfort, like it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to go through Samaria. It's so much more comfortable going the same route that we've always went. Avoiding it. It's comfortable going the same route. The same people having the same conversations, which are important and I love, but I just felt a real urgency. I felt a real challenge. It's time to stop avoiding Samaria, to go through Samaria. Where is your Samaria? Sticking to our own, those that believe the same as we do, that behave the same as we, we do. I won't even go as far to say that I, I don't think that's the way of Jesus. And so as we think what it is over the next number of weeks to walk the way of Jesus, if we're going to walk as he walked, we need to tear down the same walls that he tore down. We need to look with the eyes of compassion in the same way that he did. And um, and so I hope there's enough in there to, to challenge and to, for us to wrestle with and to converse and and chat this out because we need each other to be able to work this all out, all out together. So, bless you. Thank you for your time this morning. Um, really praying for you as you as you engage with this and engage with what we're wanting to do over the next number of Sundays. Um, so uh, have a good day. Bless you all. Thanks, Amy.